getting into the discussion. We start out first scene of the movie. It's this apocalyptic desert with uh, got Simon, you know, sta- staring down at what looks like an angel skeleton, and he's discussing the nature of the second war in heaven. Um, and you you have to know that there was a first war and what that meant, and that was the casting out of Lucifer because of his, you know. And before, you know, for you to, well, what's the second one about? And that's kind of what the movie is all about. You know, the, the prophecy is about that second war. Um, and he talks about how they're seeking a dark soul to fight against Lucifer. And that, you know, and later on they bring up some other things that we'll get into about there's a stalemate and, and that sort of thing. What did you think about this opening scene? Uh, how it was done and, you know, uh, how it looked? I thought it looked pretty cool, especially for the times. Um, I was confused, though, because when you're looking at this angel skeleton, I guess it just looks creepy because it's just a skeleton. So it's just the bones of the wings and the actual, you know, person itself. So I wasn't sure if this was allegedly an evil being that I was looking at. And then what confused me was Simon's eyes. Yeah, what the fuck was going on with that? Yeah, I I never really got a good sense uh, from trying to read up anything about this movie about why some uh, angels have eyes and some don't. I do know whenever I was reading like the wiki about it that whenever they die they lose their eyes, but it's not like you know. Uh, but I mean, it clearly like Simon at and during the scene he forms his eyes, so it's not. It's like he, you know, I don't know if that's a representation he's taken on. Well, I mean, later on, it. I mean, the, another angel doesn't have eyes, and he he's he's still mortal. I was going to say that I thought it might be like a sign that he was taking on mortality, so he could be on Earth, but that but I think it was mostly so he could fit in more than anything. It's all I could get out of it because there's a scene later on in the movie where uh, Thomas isn't, and we'll get we'll discuss that scene more. But like Thomas is in the church, and Gabriel appears behind him. And, and, and he says, and, and, you know, Thomas being a cop, he wants to look in Gabriel's eyes and Gabriel almost taunts him. It's like, go ahead, see what, what do you see in them? You know? And it it plays back to that whole thing about the, you know, the eyes are the soul to the window or the window to the soul. So, I mean, it's like, if they don't have souls, which, you know, the movie argues they don't, then what are you seeing in their eyes? I mean, are they lifeless? Are they, you know, are they like these, I, I, it just, it, it, it brings up a lot of conversation that I don't think the movie ever addresses. Yeah, I kind of wonder that are they not allowed to see? So they're given their instructions and that is what God wants them to do. So that is their, you know, whether it be God or in this case, we had an angel that was a foot soldier for Gabriel. So is it just like you're given instructions and that you, you don't see anything else? You only know what you have to accomplish? That's that's a fairly good point. It's like the best way to keep them in the path that you want them is to, I mean, figuratively or literally, you, you you keep them in the dark and you know so that they you know and 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 basically they so they can't see uh, any alternative besides what you gave them keep kind of keep them in the dark yeah because it will keep them from straying and not only that but it's not to see so much bad things but you can kind of see the beauty in life as well and be like wait a second you'll start questioning things. You know, so I don't know. That's what I got from that because I came into this blindly and look at me now. I can now see. <laughs> I, I like your take on it, honestly. I think that's a better explanation for it, you know, that, that God didn't need them to have any kind of way of seeing anything because they, they were basically worker drones and they, you know, that they, they didn't need a reason to, 
you know, observe uh, anything other than what he told them. So yeah, quite possibly. Since they didn't give us anything else to go off no, of, no, they don't. They don't explain the eye thing at all. But yeah, it scared me at the beginning. I didn't know what to think of Simon. I thought he was bad because I'm sorry, but that was creepy. And then that other angel, I thought he was a fucking demon. Even my kids thought he oh, was a demon. Oh yeah, we'll get into that guy. But yeah, that Uriel or uh, or let's see or Uriel, U- 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 Uriel, uh, yeah, Uziel or whatever. Yeah, he was really creepy with no eyes, and and I think that I mean. The scene does one good thing in the sense of when he forms the eyes is that like Eric Stoltz does have like these really sympathetic eyes when you sit, I mean, as an actor, like you, yes. you know, so it, it sold that he was a good person whenever he did get his, for sure. Know, so there was that part of it that worked out. Um, it goes from that scene in the movie to the scene where Thomas is performing his ceremony to become priest. And that's of course where he's, you know, of all the, the priests that are in there, God, gifts him, quotation marks, a vision of the first, what looks like the first war in heaven, I assume, or what's currently going on in heaven. I guess it could be what's currently going on if there, if there's a second war, because he just sees angels being butchered left and right. And yeah, and that's what causes him to lose his faith. Um, and he, he has a point. Well, not lose it, but he definitely questioned his faith or had a, 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 a what do you call it? A crisis of faith? Well, he he makes a comment like you know uh, later you know like as a like a monologue that's kind of over the movie is you know like and I think it's like literally the next scene he's like some people lose their faith because they don't see enough and some people lose it because they see too much and he's definitely oh yeah and that was a good one yeah and he was definitely in that that camp where he saw too much my issue and my, really my only issue with the movie is the fact that I feel like these two scenes sandwiched together. There's a disconnect between them, and I feel like it, it almost gives the movie two starts. Like you start out with Simon, and then you start again with Thomas, and it's like it's it's disjointed. Like it's not as an intro to the movie. It's like it stops and starts twice, you know, before it really starts going into anything. And I don't. I wish that they would have done something where maybe Thomas and his vision happened to see something that, and and Simon was part of it or something off to the side, and that linked. Simon into the movie without having because it almost feels like the scene even though it was cool with Simon was a tack on like you know people like you know they had these like you know how they have those studio execs get like a group of people together and like what did you think about this movie and they, they you know and it was almost like they were like well I don't really understand what was going on in this with the angels and it's like okay let's make a whole scene where somebody just explains there's a war in heaven and they tacked it on to the front end of the movie is what it felt like to me I don't know if you yeah because that front part was very confusing like I said I mean yeah it had a brief explanation but even with with that explanation, the visuals didn't match what he was saying. So it threw me off big time. And I didn't think about that because it was technically, if you take the words alone, if I removed my eyes because I was an angel and I was only listening, I would hear what Gabriel had to say. And then I'd be like, oh, okay. And I would know that this was the start of the story for Gabriel, or not Gabriel, excuse me, um, Simon. And then it would move to the scene, and then I'd be like, okay, well, this is the start of the character for Thomas. Um, but it was clunky. It was definitely clunkily done. I didn't really quite think about that until you mentioned it. It, it just stood out to me, especially because I, I watched it twice, like the second time, to kind of critique it a little bit more, and it, it stood out even more the second time. And there's even a scene, uh, not 
like even that distance from all this where Simon first, and we'll get into that too, where Simon meets Thomas for the first time and he mentions to him, he's like, I was there that day that you saw the visions. Well, if they want to say that, why didn't they just show it? <laughs> you know? Th- that's very true. <laughs> and that was a very clunky, feels like also thrown in scene. That scene specifically, right from the get-go, it happened. And then next we have the other angel scene. I don't, even though it ties in, I don't think it was very loosely tied in. Yeah, the scene where Thomas and Simon meet right after it shows Thomas and that that scene on the rooftop, which I think is a good scene for him establishing now he's, you know, lost his faith. He's a cop. He's kind of, you know, still questioning things. It goes to that mm-hmm. scene where he meets Simon, and you're right, it just kind of sticks out. It's like it, the only thing that establishes is that he's met Simon because, you know, the rest of the movie, he's searching for him because of the, the you know, he, he knows that he was in, uh, involved with that, um, with uh, Uziel or whatever. But it's like, it, it, that the scene doesn't really provide much other than the fact it's like, oh, well, you know, you it looks, you know, he mentions the fact that Thomas wrote the, the book about, you know, faith or whatever, and that he lost his on that day and, and, and all that. But it doesn't, the only thing that I really got out of that scene that I thought was cool and something they do the very next scene anyways is start establishing some of the things about angels and how bird-like they are in this movie. Because when you first see Simon in the apartment, He's perched on the back of like Thomas's yeah. desk chair, and it's it looks like a crow or something sitting on like an electrical wire. You know, it's just kind of reminded me of a gargoyle, like a guardian. Yeah, there's there's that too. There's that image, but I mean, it's it's very bird like, you know, and because there, there's no like weight to the body really. It's like because I mean, you know, the way he's positioned, it would have flipped the chair over if he had like normal like you know body physics and gravity, but like he's so light that he's just you know like kind of floating over top of it. Um, that's the only thing I really got out of that scene. I mean, you know, you know that scene. It like it rem- specifically when I thought about that scene, I was like, "What was this? An argument between a husband and a wife where he's trying to find out why his wife is mad, and she's just like, you wouldn't understand.' And never any context is given. I feel like they could have scripted just a little bit more of either explaining why Simon was there. Basically, Thomas had to just figure it the fuck out. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, he doesn't really know what this guy's doing. He don't, I mean, he's, he's really, I mean, and he's still, he's still a non-believer at this point. And that's another thing, that's a little thing that worked into the movie. There's a lot of biblical references, even the names, you know, there's Doubting Thomas and from the Bible, and that's literally what, you know, Thomas is at this point. He's, he's questioned his faith, he's doubting, he's like, who's this fucking homeless guy that's like broke into my apartment? You know, it, it's kind of, there's no real establishment there. Uh, that that he believes anything that Simon even says at, at, at you know this point in the movie. Um, yeah, it was interesting in not a good way. <laughs> <laughs> but it moves on from there, and then you get the, like the weird uh, introduction of uh, Usiel, uh, I guess is the name because it's U S I E L. The first thing I noticed about this guy was his face looked like plastic. I don't know if you got that sensation out of it, but it looked just so rubbery and plasticky. And and part of me wants to ding it, but at the same time, him being an angel and and the fact that they go on later about his body is like you know made out of like fetal material, anyways. It's like it almost fits. It's like weird, like you know, not really real flesh, but it almost fits for the fact that he's like just you know, it almost looks like he's a recent uh, corporeal form 
for an angel. Like he, that's the reason he don't have eyes yet because he's not been on the planet long enough to necessitate them. You know that sort of thing. I guess. I mean, the the prosthetics didn't bother me. I thought it was pretty cool, but it looked so scary. I would (laughs) never in my life want to know that this was a guardian of mine or an angel from heaven. I don't care what you're doing on Earth. You're fucking scary as fuck. Get out of my house. (laughs) And Jesus is not Lord anymore if this is what he is making and sending to me. Yeah, that I mean, it is really creepy. And it really does add to the factor of like these things are truly not our guardians. But that's like, you know... That, that's really what the movie's kind of getting at anyway, so it kind of fits the purpose. I mean, I enjoy... I guess, but holy shit! <laughs> I think it's. I think we should just go ahead, though, since we introduced Usil at this point, because when the very first thing he does, he purchases on... Like, he does the whole thing where he's sitting on the edge of, like, a uh, like some kind of police barrier or something like that in the street. Uh, yeah. We need to, like, break down just kind of how the angels in this movie are, you know, like, how they're depicted. So... We've already discussed that they're bird-like. They can perch on objects like birds, and they're supernaturally light. Uh, there's a scene, this scene where he attacks Simon, where he digs into Simon's side, and it's almost like he's got talons. You don't really see them, but it's almost like you know, like a, a bird's talons because he just he punctures the skin with like no problem, just like straight in, and like starts ripping like chunks out of Simon like the get-go. Oh yeah. Um, they're long coats. Like when you first see Usil, like his long, his, it's like his wings, like transform into like that long coat that he's wearing. So those coats that they wear are like their wings wrapped around their body. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And of course, the way they introduce Usil, they can fly because he, he flies in with his wings. And then, like I said, he, you know, makes that into a coat. So it looks more natural. So they, they have that ability. I did not catch that at first, but it makes a lot of sense. So they did a really good job with that. Yeah, I, I really like that aspect. Which is kind of funny because um, in Supernatural, although they don't do that, Castiel is introduced. He's always wearing that that trench coat, which is, I mean, it, it's just ironic is what I'm throwing out. Yeah, and it, I want to say that that might have played a part in the reason they did that, but I think that they did that because he looked like Constantine and they were kind of ripping off Constantine. <laughs> But the, yeah, rude. Uh, that's kind of the reason they did it. But anyways, uh, the angels like natural lies, like we said. And uh, the only way you can kill them permanently is to remove their heart. Uh, their body is made up of tissue similar to a fetus. That gets revealed a little bit later by the medical examiner. Yeah. Their bones like growth rings, like normal people. Uh, it's described in the movie. I don't know if this is true or not, because I've not really researched it, but... He makes the comment that like human beings' bones are kind of like the rings on a tree. Like the older we get, like the the more it builds out over time, or like due to shedding or whatever. Like you actually see concentric rings that like you know can help date a person's age. The angels have none of that. It's like they were formed, you know, like they literally were born that day that they you know that they were cut apart. You know what I missed? I missed that detail apparently about. I mean, I I heard a a, a mention of the bones. Apparently, I missed the whole ring thing because I was like, how did he know that this angel was like baby like or fetus like I did hear that as well. And so I completely missed that detail. And that makes that makes sense. Um, They also uh, it looks like archangels have powers that other angels don't have. Oh, yeah, that was part of my research, too, which there's not a lot of. Well, there's seven archangels, depending on which book you're reading, which, by the way, just sort shout out to the book of Enoch. Fuck you. You are hard to decipher. (laughs) 
we'll we'll bring up some more Enochian stuff here soon. Uh, yes. But um, so archangels can remove the souls from corpses in this movie. Um, I you know I, I think it's it, they don't really come out and say that Simon is an archangel, but he's one of the few that can do that in the movie because uh, he does that to the the colonel. At one point, um, he he leans down and was able to pull the soul out of the the prostate body there, uh, which was interesting because his name is Simon and not Simon Niel or anything like that. Yeah, so. it was like a simple name, but like you know, yet he could still uh, you know do that, uh, which was I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gabriel can uh, light you know people or things on fire with just a snap of his finger. So I mean, that was you know one of his abilities. Uh, he could also smell cemeteries and the dead. That kind of ties to the fact he's the angel, archangel of death, you know, so he can recognize death when it's, when it's around. Uh, he, Which is funny because he's more or less an announcer, if anything, of death. But Azrael is the angel of death, so where are they getting this lore from? I, that's what they've got in the movie. I'm just throwing out there what they did. I've heard that I've heard that about Gabriel though and I was like, I've never really caught that before, but then again, I've never had to research angel lore so much before, so <laughs> um he can identify uh, other creatures by just their blood alone cuz he's got that weird scene right after Usil and uh Simon fight that like he he comes into the apartment afterward and like he leans down in a room it's really gross, but he like licks the blood spot that's on the the like desktop and he's like Simon, he was, you Simon, know, yeah. Which is, eh, I mean, yes, I know the scene makes sense. And it, this movie, I mean, overall, some of these things were pretty cool. But, I mean, can we just point out how creepy it was that when they're, when they're putting a soul into your body or sucking it out, they got your mouth over like they're French kissing. And they had to do that to a little girl. Yeah, they're, they're, I'm going to get into that. That scene with him and her reads really bad whenever you're watching it. It's just, it's, it's, it's got a lot of uh, that connotation going on um okay yeah uh and apparently uh gabriel in in general can uh, slow the dying process and keep a body tra- or keep a person trapped in their own body as they rot because that's exactly what he does to both of his lackeys in this movie he catches them right on the verge of death and he brings them back and he and and they can feel their body rotting which is so bad but they can feel themselves rotting in their meat suit rotting while they're trapped inside of it and he won't let them leave Oh my god, that was pretty tragic. I thought that was kind of a cool throw-in, th- and to show just how brutal fucking angels can be. Uh, uh, he's got a line later that I, that I, that's perfect for how brutal they can be. But I I thought that lore about how he could do that was just it was such good little piece of you know like thing that they added in there because it's so awful when you think about it. But like it's it's su- and it's such a bastard move, and you'd think, oh, these guardian angels, no, not him. Yeah, and you know what? I had a note in my um, angel lore because between Gabriel and um, Raphael and uh, Michael is that they're so, like, overly good that when it comes to the balance, everything that they do, no matter how horrific it may be, they're, like, doing it for the greater good. So they only see the good of oh the lord told me to do this or i was told to do this i'm doing this for the lord or if i'm doing it for myself whatever their reasoning is that they don't see how bad it really is so that's pretty interesting yeah and i i really like how they added all that in there i mean it just really um added so much to this movie whenever they did it that way yes 
Um, so right after the scene where Usiel and uh, Simon fight, and he he basically rips out Usiel's non-existent eyes, and then like you know throws him out of a building, and yeah, that was funny. And Usiel gets run over, and I mean it's just like one thing after another. Um, that's when Thomas comes in and starts investigating, and this time you know he he and it's a little thing that I caught the second time that I was watching it, but um, he actually a, a good bit of police work happens to notice the piece of paper. That or newspaper that that Simon left, and it says Chimney Rock, Arizona, on it, and that's what gives him the idea that that's where he needs to go to keep investigating. Ah. So I like that little thing that they threw in there. It wasn't just like he randomly knew; it was just like he looked at the table and he's like, "That's where I'm going," you know. Yeah, I probably just had like you know not so much a vision, but when you read it, you're like, okay, it, you just have this like realization. I want to say something real quick about that scene, but. Funny how, yes, you're right, uh, Simon impales him on some glass and then eventually gets him out of the window. He falls. He gets hit by a car. The car was going so fast that it rammed him into a wall. Why was that car driving so fast down a dead end? <laughs> I don't know. And the other thing is, that how did his heart get ripped out in that scene? Because I don't remember seeing it, but somehow he still dies. He's the only one in the movie that's like that. I thought... No, I didn't. Okay, I was like, I thought I saw Simon do that, but no, Simon did not. Okay, yeah, these are questions. Now I have more questions. <laughs> um, the only thing I can explain, and this is giving the movie too much credit in this this aspect, is if they can only die with their heart being ripped out, then maybe his was crushed by the car, but uh, that's 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 too much, I feel like. Yeah, I was almost thinking that maybe Simon had some kind of control of how things were happening because that would be the only reason that car was coming so fast down an alley that was a dead end. He would have had to time everything right. I mean, I know his his spidey senses were pretty good. We saw that right before, you know, uh, Uziel, Uziel, whatever the fuck his name is, jumps in. He notices right away. He's like, oh, there's something here. Oh, my God, we're fighting, you know? Maybe. I mean, that that might be a thing. I mean, that that's probably still more, you know, headcanon than it is actually in the movie. But maybe It is, ma- but, yeah. But, but maybe Simon did have, you know, like a precognitive. Maybe that's what his archangel abilities were. Like he could see, you know. and. But that's me, like, coming up with this in my head. It's not heavily inferred at all. No, it's not. It's, it is left to question for sure. It's not the movie. It's not spelled out in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um. And so you go from that, which I think you go from Thomas seeing the paper about Chimney Rock to going to Chimney Rock, which I thought was a good transition. Yeah. And you see Catherine, she's leading like Mary and the rest of the school children in like a chorus recital. And at the same time, Simon happens to be there. I guess he's flown there. And he uh, is travels to a local church to visit the body of the colonel, which is the dark soul that he references earlier in the movie. And that's where he steals the soul from the body. Um, he partakes in a little necrophilia. Yeah, and it's 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 like a loving embrace. It's the only thing that's closer to what you would expect. I don't know a reaper to actually do or something. Um, you know to yeah, actually. But uh, which brings up a discussion I want to have right now about this. What do you think about the lore in this movie about regardless or regarding like how the souls are trapped in the body and they can't either they can't enter heaven at all. Uh, I think that's dark as fuck, honestly. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. I hadn't thought of my poor innocent mind does not allow me to think apparently that deep into it. And that is kind of dark as fuck. But I mean, okay. 
God, now I'm question. I'm questioning so much about faith right now. See, you're making me have a crisis of faith. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but like, isn't that like? Because I know that you're supposed to be like in a waiting period before you go to heaven or hell, before Judgment Day, if you will. So does that mean you have to spend an eternity in your in your meat suit? Well, and that's your purgatory. That's the thing. I don't know. I mean, if because. In Protestant faith, there's not that aspect of it. There's no such thing as purgatory. You can't pray if somebody's gone, they're in heaven or hell. There, there's no getting them back. It's that's why I, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you knew anything more about that because, like, it, you know, they they wrote that out of Protestant faith. There's no like, it's you know, I know the whole Catholic thing is you can kind of pray them, you know, one way or the other out once they've got to that position. But no, it's if you're Protestant, it's like, well, they were a bad person. They're they're burning now. You know, it's like there's no option for you. Um, yeah, I mean, how I was raised, I mean, cause there's Mexican Catholic and there's Roman Catholic and there's just plain old Catholic. It's how, how culturally, how you were brought up and culturally how I was brought up was that there was a kind of like, um, a purgatory, which why, which is why I brought it up in chaos when I said, Hey, when she was in that weird area and I was like, that's the waiting room before she has to get into go through her judgment, you know? And apparently it's a long waiting because there's a lot of people waiting to find out if they're getting into heaven or hell. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of like how I was brought up to believe was that, you know, your soul has to go into this waiting period, but never just stuck in your body. It was almost like you're in almost like the void on uh, um, supernatural or nothing, you know. So it can be a hell in its own if you make it that way. Um, Sabrina's was a lot more pleasant looking. In chaos, yeah, you know, yeah, it was just she like just a, had what art on the wall and stuff like yeah. that. She was like in it was a literal waiting room. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, that's what it looked like. Yeah, uh, so that's and that's how I would hope purgatory would look like. So yeah, that that's what. And then you have your judgment day, and then yeah, you go from there. But in this movie, that's literally how they depicted uh, Satan or Lucifer later in the movie when Vigo like meets up with Catherine. It's, he says your, uh, I think it's like he goes back. It's like your your grand your great grandparents, your grandparents, uh, your parents, and and eventually you, uh, you will uh, your soul will remain trapped and and be worm food until uh, heaven is opened back to uh, back up. So it's like man, that's a dark. You know, it's like you're literally laying, and that's that's what their argument is in this movie. The reason that Lucifer is kind of winning the war is because people get so fed up with waiting to get into heaven if they're good people that he comes to their you know bodies and says, "Hell's open twenty four seven. If you want to get out of this misery, I'll I'll accept you into hell." And that's how he's been taking souls. It's because hell's open, but heaven isn't in this in this reality. Yeah, well, the wait list to get into heaven, man, you know, it's it's an elite club. <laughs> but it's it's just so dark, like that that bit of lore, I'm like, man, I'm not comfortable with that at all. Like, no, 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 no. You're like, I don't need that noodling around in my brain. <laughs> um, But yeah, that that's uh, basically what the reason. That's metal as fuck. <laughs> it's, it's really metal. <laughs> um. <laughs> And yeah, I, I just had a note in my, uh, or had a mention in my notes asking you if there was in Catholicism. So I guess there's like a version, but it's definitely not rotting in the body and waiting for, for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. That was never told me, told me that way. But then again, you don't want people to fear death. And obviously, uh, Mexican Catholics celebrate. I mean, we don't want to die, but if you do, we make it a celebration of life versus 
you know, oh, they're they're gone and they're just rotting in their corpse until Judgment Day. But don't they like bring out the dead and like celebrate as if they're still there? I mean, you know, and so. Yeah, but that's like Halloween. That's a thin veil okay. where you could be anywhere and you're, it's the one time, you know, of this season that you could come and, you know, either celebrate with your family. I personally think that that's not a great idea. If that were a legit real thing, let's talk about this logically like it's not. But if it were a thing, I never think that bringing souls across is a good thing. What if they can't get back? What if they're late? Mexicans are notoriously late to everything. That's why we have our own time called Mexican time. And they don't make me now. now they're just aimlessly wandering Earth. And in Supernatural, we've learned that when you're just on Earth, you just get angrier over time because you're not accomplishing what you need to. That's a whole story. Which you would think would be even worse if you were trapped inside your body. I mean, you would just... You yeah, it's true. That, at least on Earth. Yeah. Um but anyways, just moving on from that, like the next scene it shows in the movie, uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I just thought that was such a dark bit of lore that this movie did. But uh, It is. Thank you for making me think about that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, the next thing that they show in the movie is where Tommy goes to the medical examiner, Joseph, which is funny, another you know reference to the Bible. You know, here's Joseph. But um, it's played by Stephen Hinter, and the thing I remember him most from is probably Seinfeld. He was kind of like Jerry's uh, arch nemesis when it came to like uh, not Newman, but like the the other comedian that he always like hated to see out on the streets or whatever. But um, that this is where they find out the stuff about how Usiel was like you know freshly formed, like we said. There's a neat little bit where they show the Enochian tattoo on his neck and how it's repeated in the old Bible that they find on him. Um, and the Bible is supposedly later on, it's revealed it's dated to the second century. So it's one of the oldest Bibles in existence. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was cool. And I liked how it had like an extra chapter, if you will, yeah. or an extra book. Yeah, there was an extra book in there that, that, uh, that he had never heard of. And, and it kind of detailed the stuff about the second war and, and some of that other, uh, you know, the stuff that came out of it. Cause it, it shows him translating the Bible and that's where he, you know, he sees that, um, and uh, he, he finds out that angels, that's where he realizes that angels actually had a second division after Lucifer because of where God favored men with souls, uh, caused them to break up. And there was some that like Simon who followed God's word implicitly, but others who questioned God like Gabriel kind of formed another like faction. Uh, and then that's also the scene where he kind of translates the symbol to mean Usiel. And then he looks that up and that's like the lieutenant to Gabriel. And that's... yes. Which is nice because right after they mention this, that's where you first see Gabriel for the first time, you know, in the movie. It's like it, it transitions perfectly because he mentions, he says the word Gabriel and then suddenly it transitions and you see the, the scene with Jerry that leads into to Gabriel. Uh, yeah, which that opening scene, or I wouldn't say opening scene, but that scene leading into Jerry's character was pretty foretelling for what little that they showed. Um, and his his I think his body language really portrayed the torment he was going through. Oh yeah, like every bit of it. Um, I do have to take a step back though. I messed up. And they do show Gabriel before that scene. That's where he breaks into the apartment and he licks the blood. That's the scene where you first see Gabriel. Yes. I forgot about that. Um, yes, but I that, mean, when you get a formal introduction, if you yeah, will. Yeah, you later on with Jerry, and so and there's a there's a little scene where Mary meets Simon and offers him food, and that you know that kind of leads into what happens later with them. But then you see Jerry, and I totally agree with you on Jerry. Just the the music that's playing, it's like this sad sack, almost country music sound music. You see the noose that he hung himself with, like beside of him, it's still there. 
there's like the picture of his girlfriend that I guess left him or something, you know, that led to all of this and it's up in behind him and his face just looks like somebody who is just so tired and just so ready to give up on everything, but it, but he can't. <laughs> and he has played that character pretty well. I've seen him in other films, even if it's just like a basic, you know, uh, character thrown in. And he really has that face where he could just be so nonchalant, you know? <laughs> yeah, they picked perfectly to just kind of sell that image. Uh, a little bit of uh, trivia about this. That girlfriend that he had in the in the picture was actually the set decorator for the movie. And it was the her first and only appearance in a movie was in that picture. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> um, but this is the scene where it actually formally introduces Gabriel for the first time. And you get a little bit of his personality, which is great. Uh, and he reveals that he's uh, only he will not allow uh, Jerry to finally rest in peace until he has fulfilled his service to Gabriel, uh, which is funny because he keeps changing the terms of that service as you go along in the movie. At first, it's like uh, just break into the uh, the more you know the the police records for me and, and get this and and we'll and we might call it square. And then like later on, he's like, nope, I need somebody to drive me into the desert. You're you're going to do this, which is funny because I think Gabriel can fly, so he's literally just doing it to torture Jerry. Like he doesn't need which is fucked up. <laughs> he doesn't need a ride. He just wants somebody to. He just wants to to friggin' torture this guy because you know, like he says, we're a bunch of talking monkeys, and he just wants you know somebody to harass. <laughs> which is I just thought of something right now and this is not jumping ahead too far but we obviously know that um Gabriel gets another foot soldier eventually if Gabriel what was Gabriel afraid of going into this police you know precinct to get this evidence if he had gotten caught he could have done something to get himself killed um which is what he wanted yeah that's true but I guess he you know Gabriel knew that he I, I guess he assumed that Gabriel or that that Jerry would just uh, you know uh, think that Gabriel wouldn't let him die even then, so he better do it because I mean, or his body would be even more fucked up than it is once it had a few bullet holes in it or something. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> ish. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that, and, and that's probably, and it's clearly not the case because later on he does get killed with a bullet. But I mean, yes, that's why I didn't say it. I was like, okay, we'll wait, we'll discuss that then. But you know, anyways, um, but um. The, this is also the scene where Gabriel says that a dark soul will eat other will eat other dark souls, and uh, and, and it's a and it's mentioned that it's a man, not an angel, that'll be doing it, and he'll be a warrior. That's kind of where you get all the stuff about the colonel. Basically, it's kind of feeding into that. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to say on this scene, though, is that two things about Gabriel reveals in this scene: he hates when Jerry starts to cry, like, and it's mo and it's throughout the movie too. Humans crying is is such a pet peeve for Gabriel that he I mean he will threaten to end your existence if if you keep doing it in front of him which is the opposite of what you think a guardian angel would you think that you know when you cry and you're full of pain that you know they would be there to comfort you no he it just drives him insane and he can't stand it it's like a you know humanity is just uh, these worthless you know primates anyways and he really hates it when they're blubbering that's the worst I think that Gabriel's frustration would be stemmed from the fact though that being a guardian angel is something that sometimes, you know, God, if you will, will force you to do. And in this case, he is not under God's will right now. He is under his own will, free will, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of wills. Um, did not mean for that to be like that, but hey, that's how it turned out. Anyways, um, and so he's not there to be Jerry's guardian angel, 
obviously, if anything, he's quite the opposite. So I can see where his frustration is like, I'm trying to accomplish something and you're really like just dampening the mood with your stupid tears. Yeah. And, and but it also shows that he lacks any empathy whatsoever. Like he cares for humanity. Just, I mean, at none, like there's no care whatsoever. Um, yeah. But it's funny, too, because in the same scene, like Jerry uh, says the Lord's name in vain and and it really offends Gabriel. Like he even. Yeah. He's like, watch your language. Like, watch your language. He's like, you know, it's it was a it's super high offense to him. So even though he's mad at God, he's still like so caught up in God that he that he it physically, uh, you know, hurts him whenever he hears other people taking God's name. So. That I just Absolutely. I thought that was a great little you know bit that he added in there or whoever wrote I it. thought it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, so it goes from that scene and it goes to showing the two of them. Jerry sent the police lockup to get the items while you know Gabriel goes to the morgue to retrieve the body. And I don't know if he kills the guard when he walks in. It doesn't really say, but he basically just touches him, kind of like the you know you would think that the Grim Reaper would. And the guy just falls down. So I don't know if that's like a sign that he his touch is death, you know, necessarily. But it's it's what it looked like. I mean, you know. Yeah, I was kind of wondering, and well, see, and they don't address it because obviously, in following scenes, they come back and they find you know this angel that's being burnt to a crisp but nothing at all is said about what happened to the they guard. They never addressed the guard. It's like either he was put to sleep and then he wakes up later or he just died outright but, no, but nothing's ever brought up about it. Um, yeah. But I thought it was interesting how he laid the body out and he kind of had this anointing oil that he used to, you know, to, to put a, you know, like in a kind of a, I mean he, he actually did a ceremony of, kind of some sort, you know, to Usio's body before he actually lit him on fire. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he kind of laid him out like he was on the cross, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it in that formation, and yeah, some kind of blessing ceremony of sorts that I'm not familiar with. And it would be, and it's weird too because like if they don't have souls, then uh, I don't know. Maybe it was more done out of like a, a warrior's respect, like you know, okay, this was my right hand lieutenant. I want to give him the, you know, I don't know, just some kind of sign of respect or something, you know, for his service more than anything. Um, but yeah, which is more than he was doing for Jerry. So <laughs> a complete opposite of Jerry. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, whatever makes you feel good. Yeah, well, I mean, he's got different, uh, you know, code of, uh, you know, honor than, you know, what we would consider. Tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> so the next scene is, uh, Catherine, uh, she finds Mary's with Simon. This is the part we was talking about. It's creepy. So she sees Simon or Simon talking to Mary. She assumes the worst, which anybody would. It's this this yeah. bum talking to this little girl. So she sends Mary on her way. She threatens to call the cops on Simon, and he mentions this little cryptic thing about how they can't help him uh, because he's dying because of the terror that you know uh, he's slowly dying from where Ocio ripped into his sides. Uh, but then after she leaves, Mary returns out of hiding and that's when he gives her the soul. And I even put in my notes that this scene plays out like a, a bit like to catch a predator because the way he's talking to Mary, the way he gets her to come in closer, the way you, like you said, yeah. that it, it's so creepy whenever you look at it. It's creepy as fuck. <laughs> I mean, but the funny thing is from a Bible standpoint, it's got a lot of, uh, parallels to, you know, uh, in a roundabout way to, you know, Mary and Joseph and, you know, Jesus, because of the fact that there's an angel that appears to Mary and, and gives her 
the soul that would later become Jesus. So he's giving this Mary a soul to hold on that she takes in, you know, inside of her and, you know, but this one's evil as opposed to the good soul that, that yeah. Jesus, you know, was. So I thought that was kind of like a good little, you know, nod to the Bible in that sense that Mary was the one that was, uh, you know, the parent or, you know, the the womb, as it were. I mean, even though she's a little girl and that's kind of creepy for, you know, this dark soul. Um, I know when I was with, when I was realizing this, I kind of had an eye roll because it makes sense. But for like, you know, people of any religion, when they're seeing this, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's really creepy. I mean, <laughs> there's no. You know what? I understand why they did the whole how they take and give a soul. They were probably trying to save money on what would have definitely been shitty graphics of watching the soul. You know, I think if anything, if they had done it, they didn't have to use any kind of visuals. They could have just you could hear the soul exiting and you could see their body move to where the soul's entering them or exiting them. I think that would have been way better than the route they chose. Uh, considering the age difference and the actors, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Well, and even the dead body. I mean, yes, the girl by far is the creepiest. Hands down, you can handle a fake dead body having a soul taken from it. But, uh, yeah, they, the way they chose to do this was really awkward. Yeah, I, like I said, I go back to the one with the dead body and kind of feel like that's more of like a reaper move, so I can kind of get behind that. You know, like it's they're mm -hmm. leaning over the body, you know, taking the soul on, uh, you know, and, and kind of a, like a loving embrace, even though it's like through lips instead of like a hug or whatever. That's fine, but like it, it, it it's just like, you know, it's totally, <laughs> totally reads bad on the other side whenever he gives the soul, you know, then to Mary, but. Yeah, because it looks like he's leaning in passionately for a kiss and then just sticks his mouth into her. Well, it, it's what leads into it because he's like being so like, it's like, Mary, you're such a good person. You're, you know, you know, and all the, the way. I just the, give you something. Yeah, it's, oh, uh, it's just. It, <laughs> but, um. So shortly after she gets the soul, it's uh, she starts to become sick, like physically, and it's almost like a possession of kinds. Like over, throughout the movie, yeah. like the, the colonel takes more and more over her body, which I thought was interesting. Um, almost like a pregnancy. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I've been possessed twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, your exorcisms though they were pretty rough. They had to. <laughs> <laughs> They literally had to slice me open. Yep, they had to get those demons out somehow. <laughs> uh, so, so after this, it you know Gabriel and Jerry are kind of looking at the possessions. That's where they find the obituary that Usiel had for the Colonel. So that's what he realizes who the Dark Soul is at that point. Uh, and of course this shows that he just gives no shits about Jerry whatsoever because he reneges on any kind of half promise he gave about releasing from his service and said, guess what? You're going to drive me somewhere. And it's even more of a dickish move when you think about the fact that the bastard can fly. He has no reason yeah. to need this car at all. <laughs> and I think he mostly does it so he, he can harass Jerry along the way because he just, he torments him the entire ride to, to Chimney Rock. I'm trying to think of everything that Jerry did other than help as a henchman here and there. He really did not need um, Jerry. Sorry, I was about to say Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel did not need Jerry. Really, he didn't. He didn't need him for anything, no. 
<laughs> that was fucked up. I mean, because, well, first of all, there is one little bit of thing that I thought was cool. Whenever he's driving, it's revealed that he's having trouble seeing now. And I think that's supposed to be a symbolization that his eyes are, you know, uh, kind of uh, cataract now because of the decomposition, like his body's rotting, which is a horrible thought. But that's, you know, he mentions that, that his eyes are not, he's losing his eyesight. And, uh, you know, that's where Gabriel kind of mentions that he despises humanity and sees them as talking monkeys, as he calls them. Uh, but the next scene, to prove your point, he has Jerry dig the grave. And I mean, as an angel, like with his superior strength, he could have easily got that dirt out of that grave. He didn't need Jerry to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... He's just being a dick. Yeah, he just he's sitting there like, a, like I said, a crow again, or a vulture, a, a vulture more like in this case, over the tombstone while he watches Jerry dig and then like is harassing him the entire time. It's like keep on digging if you want if you want this to end anytime soon you better be doing it you know uh, it's almost like he it's beneath him to do anything you know uh, like manual labor or any kind of like minor thing it's like let let the monkeys take care of that you know I'm too I'm too good for this which makes sense because in media angels have always portrayed humans as they as very far beneath them they are so above humans yeah I could see them not doing you know, little menial fucking human tasks such as digging a grave. <laughs> I mean, why would he? I mean, he's clearly, you know, superior in all ways, or at least in his mind he is. Um, yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, in this scene when he actually, they get down to the, the colonel's body, how he, when he, he talks about how he admired the colonel about it, he said, of all you talking monkeys, this one was the best. He was the cruelest. He's like, he, he was ranks above all of you. It's like, that goes to show you what he values in humanity. It's more the, the warrior stuff than, and, you know, and the killing and the death than it is like anything that you would consider good about humans, <laughs> which I, th- which I thought was really revealing about Gabriel as far as a, you know, a, a creature at least. I mean, if we're being quite honest, Gabriel showed us who he was right from the get-go, almost. So, yeah. I mean, it just, it just obviously you visually see it more throughout the film, but at some point you're just like, oh, that's just our Gabriel. <laughs> oh, shucks. Look, he's going at it again. Oh, my God. Now, I don't, in this next scene, I'm not for sure about this. I mean, I didn't see any reference to it because it was a quick cut. I don't know if Jerry actually drove him the rest of the way in the chimney rock or if he just instantly flew like he obviously can to where Simon's at. But it's like he goes from that scene to where he's standing beside uh, Simon at that point. Um, I assume he was drove because I think Jerry might be standing beside him in this scene. I can't really remember. But, um... This is the scene where he's basically, he sets Simon on fire and like tortures him to give up the location of where he put the soul at. Because he realizes in the last scene that the soul is missing from the body and he knows who took yeah. it because there's only one other person who's been looking for it. And, and so that's, and so he, and it's just really graphic scene of him just watching as, you know, Gabriel, or I mean, uh, Simon's body just b- starts burning away, but he, but Gabriel being both being able to control death and also the fact that he knows that, uh, of his, you know, like Simon's ability to withstand, you know, all this, you know, his physical form, at least he, he just lets him linger there and like this burnt corpse or whatever. And he's like, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to finish you off until you tell me where he's at. You'll stay there forever that way. <laughs> that was, and I mean, you know, this is where they really discuss the stalemate between heaven and hell and, uh, and why, and he will not, and he, how he talks about how he won't cede heaven, as he says to the talking monkeys, he's not going to like give heaven over to the humans uh, or give, you know, because of how they were. 
and how he wants it back in control by angels uh, again. And that's kind of that kind of gives you his motivation why he's doing all this. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> visually, the scene was kind of cool. I think they did a really good job with the burned body oh, of Simon. It, yeah, it looks like legit like they, I mean, like a burned body. They did a really good job with that. Um, yeah, it was a little scary. Uh, and they show in this scene that when he dies, like he has his heart ripped out and he dies, uh, this is when he loses his eyes. So I don't know if that's another sign that whenever they, you know, whatever, but like that, you know, his eyes that he formed at the beginning of the movie, you see in the apocalyptic scene or whatever, which could have been way before, you know, I mean, who knows in the timeline of the earth when that happened, but, you know, like now he's, you know, finally died and his eyes are gone and that sort of thing. Um, Even though we've, we've discussed this, maybe Simon has, is more of an established angel on earth and he gets more humanized. Um, and maybe the other one, which was a baby angel, if you will, literally, because they described him as a fetus, maybe he was just so freshly formed that, like you had mentioned, that's why he didn't have eyes yet. Yeah, he didn't have a reason to. I, that's what I'm leaning toward. Maybe that's the reason he was lacking eyes because he had not been on the earth long enough to, to need them because, you know, who cares if he, you know, was... Because he wore the glasses over them, and it, which makes me think now, now that I mentioned that part of it, he wears the sunglasses, maybe it was a, a choice. Maybe he didn't want to get the eyes. Maybe he was one of the... Because he was following Gabriel anyways. Maybe it yeah. was either a sign of, you know, uh, deferring to Gabriel being superior to him and so he he would do to Gabriel what the rest of the angels did for God and not have eyesight so he could follow orders better maybe that's what it was maybe he was uh in the boat of like Gabriel you know like thinking that humanity was worthless so why get, take on eyes like humans and you know therefore corrupt yourself that way you know there, there's a couple different ways that could have went why he why he went with just the sunglasses over the empty sockets Maybe he didn't want to look like a fucking monster, even though his face was fuggly as fuck. <laughs> I, I thought it was kind of funny because I was like, surely to God, this actor don't look this way. And I looked it up and he was actually a stuntman, which makes sense because that character really didn't have, yeah. it, have a part other than fact of falling and, you know, other things that stuntmen would do. But I, th but his face looked like that, I think, because they had to build out those empty eye sockets. So they had to really build out his face. Like, yeah, you know. they had to. I figured that much. Yeah. And you know what, though? They did a really good job of dehumanizing this this guy as a character. So, yeah, they did. Like, I mean, you felt nothing at all for him. It was like, OK, that monster's dead. Good. Good job. Killing that freak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, there's a short little scene after this with Mary's, uh, where Catherine visits Mary's family, and it reveals that she's got like they've got a hand trembler there, which I guess is, I hope that's a real thing in like Native American, you know, uh, tradition. But like the trying to drive the evil spirit out of the body, um, and then it's it's shown that she, Catherine sees it. You're seeing the possession, the Colonel's possession, starting to take over because there's these drawings that that Mary has done in crayon, and she's depicting like hanging bodies or whatever, uh, or putting them on spikes or something like that. You know, like the Colonel did back in Vietnam, yeah, or Korea, I guess yeah. it was. So, um, and then there's the the scene after that. Thomas meets with a grave digger. That's where he finds out where the colonel's the, the colonel was buried twice because he would dug up in the middle of the night. You know, and we know who did that. <laughs> Uh, but he also mentions that there was a wino that recently burned up. So that's where he gets the clue about what might have happened to Simon. Um, he he goes to investigate. He meets Catherine. Uh, we learn that the town used to be larger, that the schools only, they only use like a few classrooms because whenever the copper mine 
uh, vein was depleted. They it became a ghost town. Uh, the, he asked her if she knows anything about Hawthorne, and she, she says, "Of course, everybody that's in a small town knows everything about everybody." And talks about how much of a bastard the colonel really was. And this is probably one of the darker parts of the movie, and the part I wanted to bring up when he goes to search Hawthorne's house. That is, oh man, that's creepy as hell. The fact that you know he's watching the video about some of the stuff that the colonel supposedly did, cannibalism, human sacrifice. Uh, he opens up a trunk that the colonel kept and it was like the skin body, like the, the skin that was left over of some of his uh, yeah. enemies. Um, the faces. <laughs> they're, yeah, their faces and like some of their arm, like their arm skin. Um, and there's a scene of the colonel himself and like the blank stare he has every time they see him. Like there's, you know, we talked about like the, the eyes and the windows, the soul. Like, I mean, he clearly has no soul at that point because he just keeps staring like a dead stare off into the, you know, they're sitting there asking him if he was, you know, had any recollection of what he did. And he just kept staring like the thousand yard stare, you know, at the camera the entire time that the, the video was playing. Um, you just see like a side view of the war playing over him, like yeah, like he's imagining it in his head. Yeah, and it's I don't know. I, I think it's a really effective scene of showing just how awful the colonel was, and that's kind of the reason that Gabriel's wanting this guy for his army, apparently. So a really good build up. Well, I was under the impression that like Gabriel wanted to harvest his soul to become more powerful. <sighs> that might have been it. I can't. Can, kind of get getting the idea that if he could get the, the colonel who when they, they say the dark soul that consumed others and he literally was a cannibal uh eating other people's flesh i kind of got the idea that it was like uh with the colonel uh you know represented like this this force uh that would just relentlessly kill whoever that they told to kill and like would be the perfect like you know lieutenant or something in his war against lucifer basically what it amounted to yeah well and that would i mean that would make sense because was he going to use this lieutenant against lucifer or was he going to use this lieutenant against michael because michael is the lieutenant in heaven it, it could have went either way because i mean he technically was yeah. having the war with other angels but he i mean but lucifer was the one that he had the stalemate with so it was kind of hard to say yeah you exactly know. Which one he was actually more pissed off at at, the, at that point? Well, yeah, I wonder if if the other movies go into it, but that's a that's a, another discussion for another day. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then after this scene, Thomas travels to the church because I guess he's just so. And I mean, who wouldn't be after seeing you know literal skin <laughs> of you know Korean soldiers there in a in a trunk? But uh, he travels to the church, and that you see a little flash of the angels again. So even just being in the church seems to trigger that horrible vision he had. And then, you know, we see Gabriel's like instantly behind him out of nowhere. And um, he makes this comment that I love in this. He's like, he, he's like, I'm impressed a man your age would be in church on, during a weekday. You know, like that, that's, that, <laughs> yeah. that says a lot about. <laughs> like, that's a dick thing to say. <laughs> well, it was interesting because it was, it plays back on that weird dichotomy that Gabriel has in the movie because he's like, you know, you would think since he's angry at God and the fact that God put mankind above him, that he would, you know, hate everything about God, but he's actually respectful of the fact that Thomas is, is giving worship to God. It's like, he's still, he can't get away from his innate desire to worship God, whether he wants to admit it or not. That's kind of what I was getting from it. You know what Gabriel has? <laughs> What's that? He has daddy issues. <laughs> I think we mentioned that already, uh, maybe in, in the, the news segment. But yeah, daddy issues are real bad. <laughs> yeah. 
Which is funny because uh, talking about frailty, that movie's all about daddy issues as well. So, I mean. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's not just fathers be good to your daughters, okay? Be good to your children in general. <laughs> um, I really like the scene where he, like, challenges, like, uh, Ga- or Gabriel gets challenged by Thomas to, like, look him in the eyes. And, and Gabriel's like, fine, do it. You know, what do you see in there? And he seems to be pretty spooked by whatever he sees. It doesn't really reveal anything, which is good because they probably didn't have the budget for anything cool. But uh, you can tell that he kind of, like, backs down quite a bit whenever he looks into Gabriel's eyes and sees whatever he does or does not, you know expect to see that yeah that or he was afraid of what he was gonna see because we know he has visions so that's true um and he has seen some shit in his visions <laughs> uh yeah especially you know angels with bloody wings getting torn apart screaming and you know chaos um I had a question for you. What do you think about this scene with Gabriel where he mentions to, um, this is just, this has to be something that, uh, this almost feels like improv by Christopher Walken. I mean, and that's why I love about it. Even if it was in the, the way he delivers it, if it, even if it was in the script, I love this. He was like, uh, did you know that dent in your upper lip is from way back before you were <sighs> born when I told you a secret and I grabbed you there and told you, shh, you know, like, I mean. <laughs> it definitely made me look at the dent above his lip a little bit better and notice that it is a little more prominent than a lot of people's um more than anything i was like shut the fuck up gabriel you're such a dick (laughs) that's what was going in my head if you want the honest answer i just i just thought that was a neat little it's almost like you know gabriel was saying i don't know if he told that directly if it was thomas he was intending it to or if he was speaking to all human humanity like he he you know before we were born he did that to all of us and that's the reason we've got you know that little you know bit of a dent you know on our lip up you know below the nose but i just thought that was a neat little like I don't know, folklore or something that was thrown in there that I'd never heard of before. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, that was pretty, it was pretty fucking hilarious. Um, the next scene shows Mary as she's looking at Hawthorne's grave. And I thought this was good because it had the Colonel like standing behind her. Like you could see him and he had his arm on her shoulder. It's like he, he's, that's showing, you know, representing how much he's taking over her at that point. Cause he's looking on in his own grave through Mary's yeah. eyes. Um, she did kind of wake up, though, as if she were, were dreaming it. She woke up in, like, a cold sweat. Yeah, I, and that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But, yeah, it's like the position was getting worse. You know, you could see even at that point. Um, oh, absolutely. And then, of course, I love this scene. It, it switches to Gabriel being outside the school with the kids, and he's, like, letting one kid, like, play the trumpet or whatever uh, because he, you know, because yeah. <laughs> he's, he's acting like he's needing to look, in, look at their teeth or something. And then, you know, he's really searching to see if the soul's inside one of them. And, uh, and whenever he, he's like, be real careful that, you know, he's a special trumpet, just a little, you know, it don't take much. And then like the kid blows on a little bit and it blows out like the second story window. And, you know, he, the thing I like about this scene with Gabriel is he, he almost seems charming to the kids. Like, I mean, he, oh yeah he, you know, you expect him to be a total dick. Cause I mean, you know, they're miniature talking monkeys, but he's like being real nice to them. And, you know, it's like. There you go, Susie. You're doing. You did a great job, you know. And like he's just real. I mean, I don't know. It's just weird that he like can turn that on, you know, instantly. Like that charm, that, you know, with people like that. Yeah, uh, these kids have obviously never heard the term "stranger danger." <laughs> Unfortunately, what the fuck is going on in this town? Apparently, whenever they lost that copper mine, they lost their damn minds. That's all I can say. Um, Tell me about it. I mean, because small towns, uh, small towns, people know each other. 
But when you have an outsider, you're like, you're not from these parts, and he is not from those parts. The only thing I can think is the fact that the people who seem to, or it's children in this movie that seem to be very, you know, like, you know, accepting of these angels. And it's almost like, to me, playing on that whole trope about, you know, like the, the whole precious moments bullshit that they did back in the 90s, you know, those little figurines or whatever, the guardian angels. It's like, you know, children uh, have like, you know, can, you know, there was a lore there for a while in media, like children could see angels and they were protective, good spirits to, or, you know, good, you know, protectors. And they almost played up in the movie because like, you know, Mary is super trusting with Simon. All these kids are super trusting Gabriel and like the adults are not obviously, but it's children. It's like, yeah, they're skeptical. Yeah. But like the children instantly like take to the angels. It's like, yeah, you know, look, this nice person that's, you know, funny and, you know, letting you know and let me blow up windows with a trumpet i mean that you know look at this person so uh of course Susie has to be a little uh rat and or a snitch and tell gabriel about how mary was the one that saw the man upstairs so that uh, yeah what a little cunt nugget <laughs> um jerry is clearly worse for the wear in this scene he looks like he his body's literally getting ready to look like a zombie anytime soon and uh, this is also the scene where Catherine confronts Gabriel and threatens him. And he's, he's that, that switch I'm talking about with walking. Like he goes from being charming with these little kids to like, as soon as, you know, Virginia Madsen comes up and like gets in his face. Like he's got this cold ass stare that like I'd back down from if I saw it. I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, like he, he, he clearly lets her know that if she fucks around with him, she's going to wish she hadn't. Yeah, but at the same time, where was that motherly instinct? I know she wasn't technically a mom. She's a school teacher. But, like, you see a stranger with kids sitting on their lap right in front of the school. I'm going to fucking go into mama bear mode and be like, get the fuck out of here. I don't care what you do. Well, that's the thing. She tries it, and then, like, he just gives her that look, and then that's when she kind of backs off. It's like, you know. Which she does a lot. She did it with Simon, too. (laughs) That's true. Maybe it's like the, it, and and it could be some angel thing where they have some kind of control. They did not do a good job of really showing that it's some kind of power that they may have. They just made it look like she was just like, oh, okay, well, you mean business? You really told me to go, so I'm gonna go. <laughs> like, what the fuck? You left a little girl in there, you weirdo. Well, to be fair, she thought that the that that Mary had gone. She didn't realize that Mary That's was true. Had snuck okay. away and was coming back. So. Okay, fine. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, you have Thomas and Catherine uh, meet with Mary because they were they've discussed things earlier. Uh, she tells them that Simon gave her a secret, but it's hurting her, which is kind of even creepier when you're given the context. It's like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I kind of went that route too. Like, ooh. <laughs> Show me on this doll yeah, where the bad man exactly. touched you. Exactly. Uh, where did he implant the soul inside of you? Which is yeah. awful. The the connotation. But anyways, <laughs> and then she gives him that creepy story about fighting Chinamen in the cold and how you know like they don't really uh, die like real men and all this stuff because she's channeling the colonel at this point. Um, Catherine confronts Thomas and asks him why he's really there, and. Um, he, I love this scene with him because it, it's it's a good bit of lore and it's something to really chew on. He mentions, he's like, you know, he tells her, he's like, did you ever read the Bible? And she's like, yeah, a little bit. What do you mean? And he's like, well, did you ever notice that the angels in the Bible are, are, were sent to, I mean, were kind of weird. They were, uh, you got creatures that were sent to punish 
make examples of people and to kill people. But at the same time, they were constantly be expected to praise God. And he described it as having, you know, uh, they were praising God always with one wing dipped in blood. And he's like, and then he asked her the question, which is kind of chilling to think about. He's like, what kind of creature would that create? You know, they're, they're always doing bad things in the Bible for God's, you know, to, to, to dish out God's punishment. But then at the same time, they, you know, they're sitting there praising him and all that. What, what do you get from that combination? Yeah. I just I thought that was a great little, you know, like that that was the gist of this movie boiled down to one conversation and it's pretty it's pretty chilling when you think about it. You know what, Thomas? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cuz I mean, it's mentioned later by Gabriel whenever he's he's in the scene with the, the camper or whatever it is when he's attacking Mary, he's like, you know, he, he's like he tells her this this line that goes right back to back with what Thomas said, he's like, I turned, or he said, I was killing firstborns in front of their mothers. I turned whole city, yeah. I turned whole cities to salt. What makes you think that I wouldn't rip the soul out of a little girl and not even think twice about it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he said, and then he goes on with that good line. He's like, and the worst part is you'll spend the rest of eternity, not realizing how or why I could do such a thing. <laughs> what a dick. <death. laughs> But that's that's why he's such. I mean, he just it's it's so good for this movie though. You need a bad guy like this. But it is okay. Seriously though, going to these angels that we've seen in media, not just particularly this movie, but going to the angels to see what they have turned into. It is true. If this is what is expected of you, exactly how Thomas said it, what kind of creature would that create? I, I, it's 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 frightening. It's, up. it's frightening. I mean, there's yes. no way. I mean, you look at some of the things that the that angels were were given, were in charge of, and the only the I mean, really, I mean, the only thing you can really say that was like a positive thing was the interaction between the angel that met with Mary. I mean, it, you know, and possibly impregnated her. However, you want to look at that scene. But I mean, it was like, you know, that's the only one that was like, you know, not like, okay, uh, we there's going to be one that appears and tells, you know, that whenever they do, you're, all the firstborn are going to die, you know, and then there's going to be another one that is going to be over, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and everybody who's there is going to be turned into a pillar of salt or whatever. I mean, it's like they're all like terrible. Yeah. So it's weird because like you look at this and you're like, oh, my God. I keep calling Gabriel a dick, but at the same time, what has this tortured soul been through? Yeah, I mean... And how did he become the way that he is? This is where sympathy for the devil comes from. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to him, too, but I mean... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. I, I just thought that this line in particular was one of the best in the movie where, where Thomas says that. It's just when he says that about a creature that praises God with one wing dipped in blood, That that is such a good line. I love that. Absolutely. Um. So, and, and we did just like you, I actually had my notes, like how this differs uh, from recent trends in popular media depicting angels as benevolent protectors, and you did just that. <laughs> so we, You're welcome. Uh, we have Catherine and Thomas making a trip to Gabriel's last known whereabouts, which was the copper mine. I thought this was kind of a neat scene. There's all that. Yeah, that was a cool scene. Anokian script all over the stone walls. Uh, there's a lantern that was left inside. It's still got, you know, it's still blazing. Um, it starts to like blaze super high and the shadows grow. Uh, and uh, out of the Nokian symbols and actually become a scene of all these, like this horrible scene of these angels on pikes, you know, with war 
battered war banners flapping in the breeze. Looks like some, you know, apocalyptic battlefield where the last, where I I guess like the battle between heaven and hell is culminated or just the the second war, whatever's going on. Um, The one thing I want to say about this scene is it, you know, you could sit there and argue that the, some of the special effects in this look kind of cheesy, but I liked them in a weird way because I felt like they looked more like a Renaissance painting. If you understand what I'm yeah. saying, it looked like the Sist- Oh, absolutely! It looked like the Sistine Chapel, the way they depicted the angels, and and you know, like and the way they were, you know, just the coloration, and there was something about that, that I really liked, even if it was a little bit, you know, uh, there's a there's a little bit there that's a little weird, but I mean, it, you know, it's it's it, it fit for what they were going for, I thought. Well, yeah, and especially if you're talking about a war in heaven, this is how you would probably view it, honestly. Yeah. I- and granted, it's not a war in heaven, but it is a war between these, you know, b- these, oh God, with celestial beings, if you will. Um, and I don't know if that celestial was the right word to use. But in general, when you're thinking about angels fighting or having any kind of battle, this is how I would depict it. Uh, exactly. And I mean, it's not, and, and I'm more, and, and not only that, but I'm just talking about the general way that they, you know, just the, the graphical design of how they did. Cause I mean, the CGI if, or whatever it is they used, it almost looks like claymation a little bit. It, <laughs> it, it looks janky. That's the word I was trying to think of a while ago. It looks a little janky, but at the same time, it literally looks like if you was looking at a, a Renaissance painting of angels and they started to move, that's what this looked like to me. That's why I thought that it was yeah. kind of cool. For the times, they did a really good job. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, of course, the end of this scene, you know, uh, Thomas says something about how St. John was right about the war in heaven, which I don't remember anything necessarily in Revelations about the war in heaven, but, you know, other than the, the end times. Uh, and then, you know, he throws, he gets rid of the scene by throwing the lamp and, and, you know, and flames get rid of the scene, but they, they realize at that point together that Gabriel is wanting Mary as far as their, you know, a pawn in the war. And that's whenever they rush back. And that's when we get the scenes that we talked about earlier, where Gabriel is already, he's already got a hold of Mary. He's like trying to get the soul out of her. Um, he gets attacked or Thomas tries to take him out gets attacked by Jerry and that's when Jerry finally gets the peace that he was denied by Gabriel this entire time. <laughs> uh, and I thought it was funny that he actually thanked Thomas for killing him. <laughs> that, that yeah. Was, thanks for the solid or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, and that, and that's when he has that great, Gabriel has that great line about how he killed firstborns, you know, and all that. When Catherine asked him, she's like, how, how could you attack a little girl? Um, he's, Shot and temporarily stunned. That allows them to get out of the, the or allows Catherine and Mary to get out of the, the camper. But uh, Thomas is thrown around a bit, and it's only whenever they get outside. And I think somebody tar- or like shoots like a gas tank or something that it blows up behind them. And that actually knocks Gabriel out for a little bit. But even then, and, and the one scene that, where the colonel does something nice for everybody, that's whenever he, he speaks through, and I don't know how he knows this, and you can tell me your thoughts on this, but that's whenever he speaks up through Mary and he says the only way they die is to rip their heart out. You know, like, and, and talking about the angels, and it's like, how did the colonel know that? How did he know how to kill angels? I don't know. I had to assume that maybe something happened with his war in China or wherever he was that somehow he found out this information. But, I mean, he is an <laughs> evil, evil soul. So he had to have seen some shit. That, that's Because, look at Thomas had that crisis of faith. He was seeing things, and it, it made him question his faith. 
maybe the same thing happened with the colonel. Yeah, maybe the colonel, I don't know, maybe maybe what he saw, you know, he maybe it, it goes back into frailty. Maybe he started doing the things he did because of what he saw. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a good point. I mean, it's never addressed in the movie. It's all headcanon, but it's... it's. You know, of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> Why would it be? Uh, the police arrive. Uh, you know, uh, Thomas is very adamant that they take the body, quote-unquote, of Gabriel, make sure that it's at least handcuffed, because he's, you know, and they're like, sure, sure, whatever. Not dead, yeah. And there's a scene later that's uh, pretty good where they're driving down. They, they all get in, like, a pickup truck and start going to, like, uh, Old Woman Butte, I believe is where they have the ceremony at. And along the way, they happen to see the cop car. It's been flipped upside down and ripped apart. So that shows you, like, Gabriel's strength at that point, that he could just, like, you know, break out and just rip the whole cop car apart. Uh, pres- Which I was like, I was expecting that. I don't know if you were, but I also saw a brief, and I don't know if you caught this, where they saw the police driving away. I thought I saw, because you saw Gabriel look up. I saw that anyways. Did you catch I that? I did not catch that. Oh, okay. There is a scene very quickly where they're getting ready to drive away. The door has not been closed yet. Gabriel looks up and gives a menacing look. I mean, Christopher Walken, you imagine it. And then I swear, and I'm not 100 on this, but I swear I see him get up, like sit up in his seat, like he's leaning towards the back seat of the driver. And then, and then you don't, and then you get nothing. Like afterwards, you see them drive by, and you see the car flipped over, and I was like, yeah, I knew that was going <laughs> to fucking happen. I, I mean, personally, I like it a little bit better in my mind, the fact that I kind of skipped over that whole thing, and it's just like they're driving through there. It's like, yep, there's the cop car. That's a good detail that they just ripped it apart. Yeah. Well, even without having seen what I saw, I immediately, as soon as they said handcuff him, and I'm like, what's that going to fucking do to Gabriel? That's, that's true. I mean, it, you know. If he, you know he's not alive after what he just, like, survived being blown up, not blown up literally, but, like, blasted by a fucking trailer fucking explosion and, and getting <laughs> shot point blank let's not leave that out of the True. Equation. yes <laughs> okay he's still alive so you think handcuffs are gonna stop him oh my god um I, I agree so i mean it wasn't like a surprise by any shape i just like that little touch they had it was like you know they just all kind of notice it and nobody says anything but they they know what that means yes um, and, and that's a good way for them to do it. Cause if they called attention to it, it'd been kind of cheesy at that point. It's better just to let that scene play out the way it did. You know, them all kind of silently realizing they're fucked, you know, he's still around. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, so the next scene, it shows this big panoramic, beautiful shot of like this plateau where this, you know, native village has been built upon. And like, that's where they're getting ready to conduct the ceremony. And then there's this the creepy little scene between Thomas and Mary where she's still channeling the, the Colonel and he's even more to the, forefront now he's like looking around and he's like he's like you know high up you know he, he's like monotone too he's like high up plenty of water uh, uh rations for days he's like good defensive capabilities oh, shit. You know? like he's laying out how it's a good place to fight a last battle or something it's it's yeah he's in battle mode <laughs> which i thought was really creepy um and then that followed that up with i got a quick question about about mary for okay. you in reference to her when she's being possessed did you like the fact that they kept her voice a normal girl's voice she was just a little bit lower of a voice like instead of a cheery she was just more of a like you said monotone because i 
thought it was okay, but I would have liked her to almost have a little scratch to it, you know, a little rugged, like she's been smoking and drinking for 24 hours, you know? I would have liked something like that a little bit, but at the same time, if they would have went too far and they'd went into the route, I mean, what you're saying is perfect, but if they went in the route of like all these, you know, new uh, horror movies where they have to add like, you know, they have to drop the actual tone on the voice, like through computer assisted, you know, technology and they make, well, it sounds like this when I talk, you know, like yeah. that would have been cheesy. I mean, so. It'd have been too much. Yeah. So they could have done a slight bit more, but I thought it was kind of good that they kind of, they, they scaled it back and made, cause it's creepier to hear a little girl say some of that stuff than it is something that sounds demonic. That's you true. Know? It was creepy, and she's just fucking rattling off with it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> she sold those scenes. Stay the hell away from me. Um, there's a scene where Gabriel's in the hospital, and he's asking a nurse to direct him to the ICU. Um, he he don't touch her in this scene to knock her out. He just shushes at her, and she falls over. I don't know if that means that this one he doesn't kill because he doesn't touch her, or if she's dead too. We don't know. We'll never know because it never shows it. But The world may never know. <laughs> uh what is it, 30, 20 some licks to the center of a Tootsie Pop? We'll, we'll never know that yeah. either. Um, and then he goes to Rachel's deathbed. And I swear to God, this reminded me of the fact she's Rachel, the way she looks. I'm like, it's fucking Pet Cemetery. <laughs> it's happening. Uh, he brings her back to life, like in Pet Cemetery. Uh, she. She, her, her being brought back to life, I, I, it, it makes you wonder how bad it was for Jerry because when she, she's like coughing this shit up that's been in her chest all this time, she, yeah. she, it's just, it's awful. And he, well, did you see Jerry cough up or, or, or something came out? I don't know if it was his mouth or his nose where he just had the slime coming out yes, of him. Yes, and I think that was supposed to be like, yeah. his, uh, like whatever his decomp- decomposing, like the bacteria, like the bile and shit that's like building up in him. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, it, it sells it pretty good, so. Um, and it's another scene of showing that Gabriel has no empathy because she starts crying. The fact that she's, you know, she was. Well, she reveals in the next scene where she's in the diner that she was she saw a light, which we know it's not the light of heaven because oh, she's shit. not going there. Yeah. But, uh, she's crying because she was pulled back from that, and he's like, "Shut the hell up! I've got things to do." You know, like he just gives no no yeah. shits at all about her. Well, more than anything, she was at peace. She had probably accepted death, which is a good thing because that means not a tormented soul. And maybe it was that waiting room that that Sabrina was in in chaos. Uh, it could have been. She could have been in that bright waiting room, <laughs> and he pulled her out of it. And so now she's back in her what whatever was wrong with her meat yeah, sack. But her meat sack was in pain, so that was even worse for her. Oh yeah. Oh, so she and I forgot that they can still feel. Yeah, it's it's really bad when you think about the implications of any of this in this movie. <sighs> uh. <clears throat> uh. The scene after this, I really like because we actually get, and this is how it links back into the devils and the details, Lucifer appears to Catherine. Finally. <laughs> Finally in the movie. The last, the very last part of the third act, he appears. I think it's like 25 minutes in t- till the end, I think, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, it's very close to the end of the movie. Uh, I thought, what do you thought of, what do you think about Vigo's uh, portrayal of Lucifer? I thought the fact that he talked so softly, almost like he was whispering to you, was a neat twist on the whole thing in the Bible about how the serpent whispered into, like, you know, uh, Eve's ear. It was like. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought of. I, I just thought that was such a good little twist on it. I'm like, that's, that makes sense that he would be that way. I thought he was very charis- charismatic too, which the devil is supposed to be. So it was really no surprise. Um, I think he personally did a very good job because there's a lot of devils. There's a lot of Lucifers out there to compare. 
And I wasn't expecting much, honestly. With what short amount of time they gave him and the way he he did this, I want to say he sold I want to say he's probably one of the best we've seen this season, and probably will see, just because he didn't have enough time to elaborate. He did what he did, and he got out. I mean, but he, it's, and we'll get to this. I mean, we can discuss this more later because he does more of this. He doesn't just have the soft spoken Lucifer part of it. He plays into the whole other aspect that people always portray Lucifer as like this demonic, like pig-like creature because he starts having like these guttural like you know sound demon <laughs> sounds later yeah and um you know what he kind of looks like he kind of he he very kind of sort of looked like chuck from supernatural <laughs> just similarities <laughs> I, I know Chuck is not good looking by any means. Viggo Mortensen way better look, good looking, but there was certain scenes like when he's picking at the flower. Mm-hmm. He kind of has the same facial features as Chuck, and I was like, "Oh my, oh my, Chuck!" I haven't watched Lord of the Rings as much as I have. I couldn't see this scene without him sitting there, and it's like with that oh, without God. him sitting there with the flower, and I, I expect him saying, "I will give you my sword," you know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but like from the very first thing, she's like, she sees him and she's like, oh my God. And like the scene, what he says to her is perfect. He's like, no, God's love. I don't love you. He's like, if it. Oh. <laughs> and then he goes on the. You son of a bitch. And he's like, if you refuse to. Sp-, uh, he's like, if you refuse to speak, uh, he said, I'll lay you over and fill your mouth with your mother's feces. Like that's how. And he says it in this soft, like he's whispering to you, like he's your best friend type thing. But he said. I know. Yeah. And. Uh, and I'm just sitting here like, OK. <laughs> and uh, it shows like a demon beside of him. And they're like these pale, like bestial creatures. I thought that was a good twist. They have like this almost, almost like look like a blindfold wrapped around their eyes, which was an, uh, you know, like the inversion of the, how the angels have no eyes. Like they're, they have eyes, but theirs are covered. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I, yeah. And I don't know what to make of that because like, what wouldn't they need to see was fucking Lucifer afraid they were also going to see the beauty and, turn to the light side because this character definitely looked like he was from the dark side. He looked like the emperor. Well, I mean, yeah, he was very pale and that, that played into it too. I almost wonder if he was afraid of getting betrayed by his own demons. So he did what he did to the demons, what God did to them, you know, but you know, like they, they already had their eyes, their their eyesight, their eyes had been, if they were, okay. So if we're going to go according to biblical lore, the demons are supposed to be the third of heaven or whatever it was that followed Lucifer and they were cast out with him and they became like these, you know, creatures like this. If they if they all had their eyes opened literally and figuratively at, because of their pursuit, you know, following Gabriel and he showed them the light because he's a light bringer, then when he was cast in the hell with them, they were the only angels that could see at that time. He had to cover their eyes up so that they wouldn't betray him like he did to God. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. No, that, that makes complete sense. Um. It's just, I don't, I guess if that's how we're going to look at it, you kind of have to dig deep for that lore. You do, but I mean, and you're, it's probably all in our heads, but I mean, like at the same time, the fact that the movie invites you to do that is kind of fun, I think, you know? Yeah, that's true. Everything doesn't have to be given away. This isn't a whore fest, <laughs> so, you know? We might be whores for lore, but we don't have to be, you know, <laughs> they don't, they yeah. don't have to give it away for free, don't- so... Yeah, all right. I'll go with that. And, I mean, there's plenty of stuff she says in this scene, though. Like, this line, she's like, are you an angel? And he's like, I'm the first, loved above all others. I like how he says that, you know. 
It's true. Uh, and it is. <laughs> I mean, he, maybe not above all others. At one point, he was, though. Technically, Lucifer was one of God's favorites. He was, and that's the reason Lucifer got the big head and did what he did, at least according to the Bible. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> he can smell that. Don't pick favorites, God. <laughs> well, and they picked huma- he picked humanity, and then that led to Gabriel getting pissed off. So, there you go. Oh, Speaking man. of which, uh, Lucifer can smell that Gabriel's there. He's like, you know, because he says something effective. He's like Angel Boys somewhere nearby, you know, like he. <laughs> um, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> I can smell him. He, yeah, that's the way he, say, he says exactly. He's like, I can smell him. The way he says it's just even creepy. Um, he is the one that actually reveals in the movie, and that's the reason I don't think they needed the thing at the beginning with Simon. He's the one that specifically and explicitly says, he's like, angels hate humans because, you know, God gave you souls and grace. I mean, he lays out all of the stuff that's going on. He wants Catherine to know exactly why they're doing what they're doing and where they're at, and he explains to her in no uncertain terms. He tells her about the stalemate in heaven, about how, because the loyalists will not side with Gabriel, and uh, how others have turned against God but for favoring mankind. Uh, he's the one that tells her, like we said earlier, about how until the war's over, the souls of all that die are trapped in their worm-filled bodies. He mentions that. Um, mm-hmm. And then he has that good line. He's like, but hell is always open, even on Christmas. And eventually people come to me to find, to escape. And, he said, and then he tells her, you will too. <laughs> Which is so bad. Wow. <laughs> it's so bad like you're sitting there like oh shit yeah but that is that is kind of what you would expect from the devil (laughs) what you don't expect is for him to be fighting for what potentially may be an actual greater good versus what is perceived to be the greater good yeah but then again at the end of the day the devil's gonna fight for whatever benefits him. well that's the thing that's what i was getting ready to say exactly because it's more of an enemy of my enemy at this point because he even he he echoes the same thing that gabriel says he says you're talking monkeys so he looks down on humanity the same way i mean of course you would think that lucifer would because if he was above all other angels and they all are that conceited that they think humanity's below them even the ones that are loyal to god uh, or it's it's kind of implied in this movie, look down on, on humanity. They just tolerate us because God said so. Um, you would think that Lucifer, of all people, due to his arrogance, would also feel the same way, you know? Um, well, yeah, and then, I mean, there's got to be a tinge of jealousy because I feel like Gabriel is following in the same, I mean, it goes without saying Gabriel's following in the same footsteps that Lucifer did that made Lucifer fall from grace. So now Gabriel is on the same you know, pathway, and I, 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 it's like I lost where I was going with this, but ultimately, like, all of the angels kind of start doing this, even in other, other portrayals of the angels, like, for instance, Michael, how crazy he is, and it's over petty things that humans have the ability to have, but has been, like, not so much stripped from angels, but denied. Well, it's more the deni- what they've been denied. It, it's it's funny too because you mentioned the thing about angels and you think about supernatural and their depiction of Michael and that and the fact that his whole beef was that the fact that you know God left and you know and he became basically you know like an abandoned son. But I mean, how many humans have to deal with the same thing? And it's just like you know it shows in a, in a roundabout sense that humans are tougher because they can deal with the pain because they you know 
we live in it on a daily basis and they're not and being in heaven they're not used to that sort of thing you know it's like if you're used to yeah that's true i mean you know they're not they, they don't know what pain is and whenever they feel it they can't handle it it's like a kid that's always been given everything that you know it, and, and never had to fend for itself it's like you know they, they suddenly freak out it's like you know and that's kind of what it's what it amounts to so wait do angels not have souls uh, according to this movie, they don't. I, uh, yeah, because I know they're supposed to be saviors of souls, but now it makes me question for any other, because I, I can't speak for any other uh, depictions of angels. I but... don't even think the Bible gives them. I think hum- humans got souls. I don't think. So it makes you wonder that the soul is what helps you process these feelings. That could be. Uh, and there... I mean, obviously it's all, again, this is us just bantering and talking out of our, our buttholes. But, you I know. think the Bible also implies that, that a soul is, is, is more than that. It's like actually a part of God that's being given to you and that, you know, that that's where the grace part of it comes in. I was about to say, angels have grace. <laughs> <laughs> they only have it, though, because they were physically manifested straight from the cloth. Like, you know, unlike, you know. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> All right, let's move forward from our, 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 we keep getting derailed by these fucking angels. Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of it, though. Uh, but yeah, That is true, it's a big part. But he reveals in this exactly what you said. He said, he basically tells her that he's only helping the two of them because he says ex- exactly that Gabriel's plan will turn heaven into another hell and his pride will not allow him to suffer another hell. I thought that was kind of cool. It's like he's got his place and he's not going to allow Gabriel to make something that even resembles it whatsoever. <laughs> You know what, Lucifer? <laughs> know your value, okay? <laughs> you do you. Know your worth. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm above that. It's, that's okay. That's okay to feel that way. Why should he have to do it? <laughs> I also like the fact that he uh, his plans revealed that he he hope he's wanting to open up heaven, not necessarily for the souls, because it, it never implies that the souls are that heaven's going to be open for the souls to actually go into heaven like they were supposed to. He just wants it opened up long enough to. Um, allow Hawthorne to be removed from the chessboard. That's basically what he's, his plan is. So, and that kind of comes into a scene later on in the, at the end of the movie. But anyways, um, so we have a scene next where Thomas is trying to get God to speak to him. And, <laughs> you know, he reveals how it's the missing the voice of God is what, is what caused him to feel, you know, like the pain that he's suffering because he, he no longer feels the connection to God that he did. Um, and he has a good line in there about he's telling somebody that um, it's better not to have heard the voice than to have heard it and have to live without it, which is interesting because that's what makes him and Lucifer so close in this movie as far as what yeah. they are because like they, they're both suffering the same exact problem. And, and Gabriel in a roundabout way because Gabriel reveals later that he has lost communication with God. So all three of the main, like, you know, Gabriel, Thomas, and Lucifer, their main issue is is that they have lost the you know the company of god and that you know they they no longer feel his presence and and that's what set them upon their their paths i thought that was kind of that's because god the father abandoned them which caused daddy Daddy issues issues, right back to it (laughs) uh the next scene is with the the is in the diner with gabriel and rachel i thought this kind of was like a pulp fiction-esque scene in a way because you know pulp fiction set in those diners and and it's yeah. got Christopher Walken and Matt Plummer, and they're both from the movie. I don't know. They, they kind of all hit me that way. But uh, that's where Rachel reveals that she saw the light and, you know, she begins crying. Of course, Gabriel gets pissed off again. Uh, he tells her that if she, she either helps him or she'll be stuck in her meat suit until the stars burn out. Now, that is a 
pretty damn dark line. <laughs> I mean, would her meat suit even survive? She doesn't know it, but I don't think it would survive that She long. doesn't know that, but I mean, you know, he could keep her uh, around long enough to... I mean, here's what I envision. I figure that he could keep... And, and, and what he doesn't tell her is that she's going to be this way anyways, which is a horrible thing to think of on the other side of it. But she yeah. is going to be stuck in her meat suit until the last atom of her being decomposes. The thing I wonder, though, is that just because your soul is in there, that is where it is presently being stored, it doesn't mean that your the mind of your soul, if you will, if you can envision that, isn't somewhere else like when she saw the light. That's where her soul envisions, okay, this is where I'm waiting until it's my time. You know, in reality, yes, you are in the fucking underground, just fucking rotting away and everything. That doesn't mean you physically see it or feel it. But if you are, and I didn't catch that that was implied, but if they are witnessing it the whole time, that is fucking, that's hell. That is hell. It it is, literally. And that's probably why being in in Lucifer's hell, which is, I think they mentioned this movie is not fire, and I think Lucifer says it, it's not the fire and, you know, brimstone that you expect. It's just the absence of God. I mean, that's preferable to the hell of being just stuck in your damn body on Earth. I mean... I think the absence of anything, I mean, interaction or life, fucking oxygen. I mean, I know you don't physically need to breathe if you're just a spirit, you know, waiting or a soul just waiting. But goddamn, you know, (laughs) void of anything. It's 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 a concept that I don't think the human mind can even wrap around. And if we did, we'd probably go insane. Just. Yeah, and and I guess going back to me saying, well, well, they don't know that they're dying. That's not necessarily true because Lucifer said that is how he says, hey, hell's open, by the way. Yeah. 24 hours a day, <laughs> 365 days a year. Even Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so that, okay, I don't know. It's it's dark. It's super dark. Yeah, it is. Um, the next scene after that, Lucifer pays a visit to Thomas. I really like this scene uh, because he's talking about how Thomas used to pray to him or pray whenever he was little to keep Lucifer away and that he was afraid that Lucifer was under the bed. And then Lucifer leans in and says, and guess what? I was. <laughs> it's so creepy. Yes. Uh, oh, Lucifer. Um, That's where they kind of bond a little bit because he mentions how, you know, him being in hell is the same as what, Thomas is going through about how they're both removed from God's voice. He says, but you can use that because he said somebody else is going through the same thing. And that's what gives him the, he's like, you can use that to test Gabriel uh, and, you know, his, and his own faith in himself. So, and that's literally what Thomas does. He sets up a physical trap for Gabriel, which, you know, was like this wire across the road that stops the car. Um, And when Gabriel, you know, it looks like he's going to kill him. Um, well, actually, first of all, Gabriel looks like that he wants Thomas to join because he's impressed that he set up the trap. He's like, you should join us in heaven. You know, we, and this, this Christopher walking line through and through, he's like, there's no bedtime. We eat ice cream all, all you know, uh, anytime we want. Oh my God. And he's like, and we kill day and night, you know, just constant day. I'm sorry, Gabriel. Are you allowed in heaven right now? <laughs> Let's have that discussion real quick. <laughs> well, and that's what they do. They, they, Thomas has a discussion. He's like, uh, so are you jealous because you fell out of favor with God? When was the last time? I caught that. When was the last time you spoke to him? And then you can tell the pain. Like the pain washes over for a split second before the anger comes in. And Gabe, and that's when Gabriel try, uh, just decides he's wanting to kill him. Uh, but it's, 
before he does, like, you know, he, he keeps mentioning the stuff about how, he, you know, like he favors mankind and all that. And eventually he just gets so, I mean, his anger, you know, and just, I guess his questioning of himself and the fact that he, you know, God has abandoned him. He drops Thomas and decides it's time that he just, you know, wins this war once and for all, because I think he's kind of gotten his head at this point that he, you know, maybe fucked up, but he's went this far. Why not the rest of the way, you know, type situation. Um, Thomas chases after him in the truck, but is attacked by Rachel. Uh, it shows Gabriel makes it to the ceremony. He actually kicks the door in. Uh, he gets shot point blank with a shotgun by Catherine. Uh, I like this line. She tells him to go to heaven or go to hell, and he's like, he's he's <laughs> like heaven. He's like wrong zip code. Heaven's love, and 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 we love cracking skulls. You know, talked in the in the tip oh <laughs> the typical Christopher Walken. So fucking it, cheesy, but yeah, it works so well. well the way from him. he delivers it, I mean, because he pauses, he's yeah. like, and because we love cracking skulls. You know, he has that pause. It just, it's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was funny. Uh, Thomas drives a truck into Gabriel. Which is, uh, now that I think about it, pretty funny because that's exactly how the Lieutenant Usil kind of met his end. Yeah. Uh, it kills Rachel in the process, which I'm sure she's happy about. Yeah. He gets the, the wrench. The lo- Although we didn't catch that, really. No, they don't really focus on it, but she kind of slams against the and then she's out of the rest of the movie. Uh, he gets like a lug wrench out of the truck and uses it to beat down Gabriel. But before he's able, like before he moves too far in, Lucifer tells him to stop, you know. And this is the part where Lucifer kind of shows his demonic side because he starts speaking and like, he sounds like an animal, like that's kind of yeah. running or something like that. Um, he speaks to Gabriel and tells him that his, his war is evil and arrogant and... <laughs> And and that's his purview. That's 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 what he's so mad about. He's when the devil is telling you you're doing something wrong. That is some serious business, right? It there. is, but I just think it's funny. He's like, you know, your your war's evil and arrogant. He can't do that because that's me. <laughs> he, he doesn't care that it's evil and arrogant. He just likes the fact that's true. he just likes the fact that you know, or he just likes the fact that he's copying Lucifer's. What he's mad about. Uh, yeah, but is he? Because I feel like even the devil understands the, you know, the balance between good and evil to a point, and Gabriel does not. That's true. I feel like Gabriel in this is like way more evil than Lucifer's portrayed. Because I mean, like, look. well, you know what the problem is? Is Gabriel is the middle child because you got God's first favorite, which is Lucifer, and then although Gabriel is a favorite to God, Michael by far because Michael is the, you know, the enforcer or what, by all means the lieutenant. So Gabriel is just the fucking middle child and. He's got some fucking resentment going or on. Mickey I.L. or whatever you said. Mikhail, yeah. <laughs> that just sounds Russian. Mikhail. Yeah, oh, Mikhail, God, Mikhail's so Navy, yeah. yeah. Um, so Gabriel taunts Lucifer back and, tell, and ask him how it's been like sulking in uh, his basement, which I think is a pretty good taunt, you know, against the devil. <laughs> um, and the funny thing about this scene between the two of these, and this is the only real bit of trivia that I, that I thought was that really stand out and kind of funny Apparently, Christopher Walken decided to eat, put a whole clove of garlic in his mouth right before they filmed the scene so that Mortensen would have to deal with his terrible breath while they were, like, face-to-face. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they do shit like that all the time. They'll, like, eat onions before scenes where either there's going to be kissing or very close contact. Yeah, I just thought that. I was like, that's a pretty good practical joke. I mean, I'm sure he was sitting. I would totally do that. Because he, he can't make a face, but he's sitting there probably thinking, God, your breast stinks, man. You know? Yeah. It might have added to his like it might have added to his anger in the scene, too. It might have been good, but. Yeah. 
So Lucifer tears in the Gabriel as the ritual brings out. And what do you think about this? Like when the colonel's spirit is kicked out of Mary, he looks like a total demon like you would expect a demon to be. He's yes. got wings. He's got like this malformed head that looks almost like a cross between a horse and a goat. I mean, it's like, it's, it, he he looks really demonic. And then like, uh, I don't know if the, what this means, but the, the, angel, the heaven opens up long enough for a light to come down and basically obliterate the colonel's soul, I guess is what it means. And and that's how they end the war between heaven and hell. I mean, because that one pawn that, that, that Gabriel's planning on using is now completely, I assume, uh, destroyed beyond, you know, any rec- or, you know, any chance of going to either place is what I took out of it. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's Gabriel was not going to be invited back to heaven again anytime soon based on what he was doing. He came down to earth and that was already his fall from grace to do what he was trying to do. Um, which I assumed, me and you had kind of different views, but I assumed that, like I said, he was trying to harvest that. Whether he was going to use it, I thought he was going to almost like consume the soul to make himself more powerful, uh, make himself the lieutenant. Um, again, this was just my own, in my head, what I created. But that scene right there, I was confused at first. I know there was some kind of ceremony, but I didn't understand why heaven didn't get involved sooner. <clears throat> and why they waited for that moment. I mean, it was like that lieutenant had an assignment and he completed it. And then heaven's like, nope, F, you know? The only thing, and this is going back to the headcanon again, the only thing I can think of is that the angels that were on Gabriel's side that were still in heaven fighting or, you know, against the, the loyalists, you know, that that were still following God's word, when they saw their commander fall, they gave up and said, okay, we, we got to take this. We got to, you know, we're fucked. We fucked up, you know, that, that. That yeah. was them joining together with the loyalists and saying, we got to do something. And that's whenever they destroyed the colonel's soul at that point. <clears throat> yeah. I mean. Which is weird because then they technically sided with Lucifer. How does that feel? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How do you feel now? Um, the next scene after that, though, is Lucifer. He doesn't just rip Gabriel's heart out. He eats it. Oh, yeah. I saw that. There, <laughs> there's a lot of subtext there, I guess. When you're eating somebody's heart, that can mean a lot of things. But, um, you know, it also plays into the whole be- how bestial Lucifer really is, even though he's got, like, the whispery voice. But I thought that was an interesting way that they did that. Um, and it was like he was uh, feasting upon his strongest enemy. So going back to what you said, you know, you get stronger, you know, by absorbing the, you know, the soul or the, you know. So, and, and also it's what the colonel did. So it's kind of like wrapping it all up that way like lucifer is consuming another you know the flesh of his enemy so that he can become stronger in a sense yeah it's almost like a part of them is now a part of you because they're literally within you um yeah i mean that's just kind of the context that i pulled and um and i love this he he looks at thomas and Catherine and he asks him or he's like are you ready to follow me home it's like basically it's like after all they've been through it's like you ready to go to hell with me and uh of course they deny him and um he promises them that they'll succumb in the end to join him in hell uh thomas states that he's actually found his faith again and he hears the voice of god and he taunts lucifer with that and you can tell lucifer's very pissed because he even has the line to him he's like you better sleep with the lights on (laughs) 
Or what? Uh, exactly. And then I thought it was neat. Like when he disappeared, he doesn't fly away like the angels do, where they just you know unwrap their cloaks and like turn them back into wings because his wings were stripped. He turns into a flock of birds. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah, which they kind of I think they have that on the um. Oh no, I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking of frailty. I thought I saw that on the cover, but it's not for this one. But I just uh, I think frailty has something similar to that. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, and of course, Mary's freed of the evil soul, and that's kind of how it ends. Um, I want to throw this out there first, though. The music for the film, uh, well, throughout the film, I thought was fitting. It was like kind of that choir singing, religious chants, hymnals. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was appropriate for the type of movie they were trying to portray. Cinematography, I mean, we might as well go into that. I thought that a lot of the visual scenes, a lot of the, you know, exterior shots of, like, the desert and, you know, and the plateau and stuff were well done. They added to, like, kind of like the, you know, the movie. But when they needed to focus in on the characters, it was service, or, you know, the actors, it was serviceable. It kept it, you know, right where it needed to be at. Visual effects we kind of talked about, they were kind of spotty. But sometimes that jankiness worked for the movie and, you know. Yeah. So that's good. Um, I don't really have any complaints about any of that. Plot I thought was great. The ex, like ex, the minor exception being some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning. They had two starts to the movie. They didn't need that one. I think it was uh, studio uh, request. I almost guarantee that part was Simon at the beginning was the studio add on. I don't see any other way around it. Um, yeah, the clunkiness was very minor. Um, and then some of the stuff that I think was unintentional with Simon being creepy with Mary, you know, that's, you know, you could say that's people reading into stuff, but it's, it's a grown man basically kissing a kid and I don't, it's, it's weird. (laughs) It's just weird. I mean, it was never okay for a grown person to kiss a kid in our lifetime anyways, but I, it's really, really focused on and now we have so many more avenues to kind of witness how bad that is, hear about it, be disgusted by it. So in retrospect, kind of looking back at that, maybe back then, it might have been weird, but it was like, oh, you know, he's doing something. But now we're like, no, you can't do that. Like, stop it. You know, it's more of a freak out. Uh, I have to agree with you on almost everything so far. I mean, Visually in this film, it really kind of fit. It was actually better. We've seen worse films filmed. Oh, yeah, for sure. By far. So this one was a pleasant surprise. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it was just because I knew it was an older film. I was just like, oh, this is going to look terrible. It did not. They did a really good job. They did really good with angles. They did really good with lighting. Um, It looks like they didn't. Obviously, they didn't have a huge budget, but then again, even if they had, I can't imagine any kind of CGI whatsoever would have looked great. So despite the weird sucking souls out of children's <laughs> mouths, well, and we, I do appreciate and that it, they didn't try too hard with yeah, that. Yeah, and if you go that route, we've already talked about needful things. I mean, the lightning scene was just so shitty and subpar in that movie, it, dist- it detracted from the film. So you don't really want to go that route, you know, if you, I mean, if you can help it. I mean, if you can't pull off the effects, don't do them, so. Yeah, absolutely, and they didn't, so they just did real big major creep factor instead. <laughs> <laughs> On there, um, overall, I same thing, I loved the storyline did pretty well in what they were trying to get across. Um, a lot of it made sense. They had a lot of really realistically they had very few but very meaningful just like lines that were thrown in that really kind of pieced the whole story together Mm -hmm. 
and you threw some of those out, some of them that you had caught. And I thought that that was just really good writing for a movie. Yeah, the little things they did to connect them together, like the, you know, the Chimney Rock, you know, uh, newspaper, that being the link that Thomas picked up to connect to the rest of the movie and all that. I mean, just and the little thing with the the scene with the cop car and how they don't, I mean, just little things like that, that shows superior screenwriting because they, you know, it's it's always a bad sign when you're, you're having to have somebody explain something uh, in some kind of monologue or something like that, that the audience could easily pick up with visuals or, you know, whatever and, and get the same gist of the, you know, of what's going on. Well, and they did leave a lot to the imagination, which you and I had fun with that, apparently. Yeah. We went all out with it, and that I wouldn't necessarily say that was a bad thing. I mean, some things you kind of want to give a little context to, and I think they could have done maybe a little bit better of a job with that, but I wouldn't have gone overboard. Like, the devil, he did a really good, well, he did exactly what we're like, okay, you don't have to overgive, like, you know, we say keep some of the goodies in the jar. He put all the goodies on the buffet table for everyone to have, so he put it all out there, which... I guess he had such a small scene, so maybe he kind of had to. Yeah, I think that was part of it. And then the other thing is, too, I, I think from the other side of it, you do, you're caught when you're in this type of situation. If you give too little and you require your audience to have to supplement everything, then what? if they're having to do all the work, then you've done a bad job. But on the other side of it, if, if you True. go too far and you try to delineate things too much and at least no imagination for the viewer it can even pigeonhole you in certain ways. Like the whole thing with Gabriel, like did he kill him when he touched him or when he did a shush thing or were they, you know, like they could, you know, they, they could have nailed that down and that would have been fine. But if they would have delineated his abilities too much, then, you know, it would have created a, a possible problem later on than if something conflicted with it, kind of like the fact that we talked about with Usiel, like how he was ran over, but his heart was never ripped out. So how did he actually die since that's how you kill angels? Um, if, if you, if you give concrete rules, I mean, they're needed in a lot of cases or, or you feel like your movie's groundless, but if you give too many of them, it's easy to trip over your own feet and then you're like, well, fuck, I just messed this up. Now where I'm going to go with the story because, you know, I just said that that's the only way these things can die. But, you know, I, you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you kind of, if you go too far in explaining yourself, then you can get in a situation where you write yourself into a corner. So it's kind of a, it's a, oh, absolutely. It's a fine balance. It can go, yeah. And I think they did, for the most part, they did pretty good. Um, there's only so much you can do. It wasn't going to be perfect by any means, but I mean, you really do get by. I think. Personally, you and I did pretty good running off with our imagination, but you kind of wonder what other people kind of start thinking, you know, what their imagination, where it took them, and did it make the movie horrible for them? You never know. Yeah, and there's always that There's always that side of it. Some people don't want to just, they want a popcorn flick. They don't want to think about anything. They don't have to imagine anything. They want what's right in front of them, told directly to them. They want to know what they're supposed to be getting out of the movie, and I understand that completely. But, you know, there, I feel like if you give a little bit to where the person, because that's the way, I mean, the best, you know, when you're talking about novels and books, like it's, it's better. I mean, your mind fills in the gaps that the author doesn't give you. And so, and, and a lot of times that's the reason that, that people who read a lot when they're, when their favorite books are translated to film, they feel so disappointed, even if the filmmaker, you know, is great in what they do. You, your imagination can do so much more than anything that we put on film. So, I mean, if a film can, you know, feed your imagination at the same time it's giving you visuals, I feel like that's, you know, that's a good thing to have in a way. Absolutely. Um, the, only, the only other thing I was going to say about the music, 
is uh I don't know if you uh, stayed too long for the credits, but that song that plays over the credits, at least the beginning of it, is the most ninety sounding thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I did. It's apparently some song called "Breaking Point" by Snake, and oh yeah, and it was just like I was listening to it, and it, it kind of sounds like a mix of like Candlebox and I don't know, like some of those like you know alt alt rock bands that came out around that same time, and I'm just like, oh man, what this couldn't be more nineties. If I mean it, like the rest of the movie could be kind of timeless. I mean, yeah, it's got like a ninety late eighties, early nineties look to it. But that song is just like, yep, this is a 90s movie. That's <laughs> There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I know it wasn't going to happen, but I was thinking because obviously in my head I had this daddy issues thing going, noodling around for quite a while, but it would have been so cool like towards the end or even when the devil was kind of doing his little monologue with Gabriel that in the background you hear Father of Mine playing by what's Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> That would have probably have been a better fit, honestly. It's like, I mean. Oh, man. Or even at the end, right when the credits start rolling. Father of mine, <laughs> tell me where been? have you been? <laughs> I have problems. Oh, we all do. Uh, so what's your rating on this? I, this was not a scary movie by no, any means. No, it's not. But it is one of those movies that, you know, Catholic or religious movies really, really used to get to me and scare the shit out of me. And this one did not, um, but it was very intriguing. And I think studying the lore kind of beforehand really kind of mentally prepared me for this movie. And I'm glad that I did it, even though I was all over the place with piecing it together when I discussed it. I always am. Get used to it. Um, I'm giving this one. It's hard. I'm giving this one... A three and a half. Okay. Um, but I, it's so hard because I really want to go higher. It's not a five by no. any means, and it's not a three. Mm. Um, it it's almost deserving of a four. It's just that there, like like we mentioned, there was some clunkiness involved. There was some creepiness in it. Um, and I feel like I had to run off a lot with my imagination and kind of piece things together. Even though we said, you know, they they tried to balance it as best as they could. So I'm going with three and a half zombies, which I forget what that puts that, us that on rotting corpses scale, but uh, we'll go with yours first. I'm going to find that, and then you can go with your uh, rating. Uh, I've, I'm the same boat as you. It's definitely not a five. There's too much clunkiness to it. Uh, the three is just doing a disservice to the movie. I settled on a four. It would probably be closer to, I mean, if you were wanting to get nitpicky, like 3.75 or something, but I'm going to give it a four because walking and Vigo, uh, both in this movie, I feel like just their portrayals and, and the lore it, that it adds to the all of this are just too good, and they, and, and I, I feel like they kick it up a notch and make it into a four. I mean, I it, it sucks that it takes so long to get in, or, you know, it's like a, it's a good part of the movie before you ever see Gabriel, but he really is a selling point of this movie. When Walken comes in, he elevates the rest of the movie at that point to me, so that's where I'm at. I'm at a, like a Four out of five. And that puts us in between. I, I did find the scale. Um, I'll probably go over that again. So a one on the rotting corpses scale would be rancid. Two would be advanced decay. Three would be active decay, which is where I was at between a three and a half and a four. Four being rigor mortis. Mm -hmm. And five is a certified fresh corpse. Mm -hmm. And didn't quite make that, but I did. I was laughing how you gave it a four, and it's rigor mortis, and 
Viggo Mortensen. I don't know. They're they're very they sound very similar. Rigor Mortensen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rigor Mortensen. We should just give it that. Yeah, that that's, that's that's writing for this one. Uh, Rigor Mortensen. Yeah, it's a it's an active for Rigor Mortensen. Um. So yeah. That I mean that wraps up the episode. Uh, the next one we have planned is the 1985 uh, Ridley Scott uh, cult classic at this point uh, film legend uh which dark fantasy might seem a little odd for a horror podcast but there's enough dark elements in that when you see meg knuckle bones and you see the depiction of the lord of darkness as portrayed by the great tim curry you'll definitely see why i consider it uh, more on the edge of you know a horror film uh, but I think that it's got one of the best visual depictions of the devil in any movie um, that's out there. Uh, is there anything else that you want to bring up, uh, Urena, as far as any plugs for anything else before we go? Uh, no, still working on, well, they it'll be out by the time this episode comes out, but we're getting out um, Needful Things. And then obviously we'll have some Death Holler news coming up. Um, obviously you can find us anywhere, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, pretty much any major podcast carrier, you can hear us. We're also on YouTube if you want to watch the videos. There's no live video of us, but um, you can just catch our, you know, our, our listening. There's some people like listening on YouTube. Good for you. Um, and as the Reverend Dr. Death had mentioned, if you can just give us some likes, subscribe, uh, rate and review, we greatly appreciate it. It really helps the podcast. Once again, going to throw it out there. Shout out to, uh, <laughs> was, it, was it Sweden? Sweden, yes. Sweden, where we were in the top 100. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. And again, Shudder, if if you're listening, <laughs> yes, we, we would be glad to be shields for your network, so... We would love to. Tell us what we can do. How can we be great enough to be mentioned by you? And so I guess that wraps things up. Yep. Are you going to say the peace be with you? And peace be with you. And with your spirit.